I don't believe in free speech. I don't believe in free speech. I can't stand what they teach. I don't believe in free speech. I can't stand what they teach. I can't stand what they preach. I don't believe in free speech. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, 2023. Gonna be exciting, I can tell. That'd be better than last year. <laughs> it better fucking be. <laughs> Don't get your hopes up. I know, I know. I Didn't always... 2020 beat you down? <laughs> you can't have your hopes up anymore. <laughs> I know. Oh my god, it's like it's like 2020 is. Is that true? Is 2020 to like? A younger generation, what like nine eleven was to my generation or something, where it was like this whole like wake up call of like, oh man, things are kind of fucked up. Is that what's happening? Is that how the world is? You know, <laughs> could <'Cause>, be. <laughs> yeah, could I don't be. know. I feel like the the pandemic it seems to be easier on younger people, where they're just like they're like, yeah, it's cool now. Everything's cool now. I don't know. Older people are just like, oh my god. Like there's so many things to be afraid of. That's just kind of part of getting older anyway. You just you it's like every day is a new thing to be afraid of until you just like never leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get afraid of your house. <laughs> oh, totally. I mean then, then it'll like it's like, you know, bad things will find you. You know, that's and then then you're just then I don't know, then it's just take a lot of Xanax, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I know. I know. Unless you're afraid Xanax will hurt you too. Yeah. Like hypochondriacs like me, you just can't win, you know? Yeah. yeah I get an even bigger anxiety attack Yeah, just taking the Xanax. My, my doctor is always talking about <laughs> I mean, I have a heart attack. That. I yeah. feel heart palpitations. Is totally. that the effect of the medicine? This anxiety is giving me a heart attack. I need some Xanax. Oh my God, the Xanax is giving me a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> It's like uh, there's a Woody Allen movie where he described somebody's being, I don't know, super neurotic or something. And he said, nothing a little Prozac and a polo mallet won't cure. <laughs> we should just we should just get that clip and splice it in here over overlaying on this conversation. <laughs> he would say that's what both of us need is just a Prozac and a polo mallet. <laughs> <laughs> knock some sense into us there are times where i wish i could just splice in some sort of um audio in real life like in a conversation so there was this person who just kept saying negative things when i was teaching a class and i and it, was, it reminded me of the debbie downer skit from saturday night live where debbie downer comes in and every, everybody's saying something cheerful like at a dinner party and she'll be like until I got a kidney stone. Like she would always just in, interject some horrible negative news about herself. And then they, they always have the um, sound effect right after she says it going, wah, 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 you know, like, <laughs> and then they go in the end, they have a little song like it's time for Debbie Downer. <laughs> I was like, I just felt like if, if I wish I had a little button I could press that would do the Debbie Downer music every time this woman said something negative while I was trying to have like a cheerful classroom experience. <laughs> I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> such a Debbie Downer. Jesus. I, I like, I can't imagine like being a professor these days. We constantly go, can we just like, okay, can we just go like, like, Five seconds without talking about the fucking patriarchy. Can we stop talking about the goddamn patriarchy for just a minute or whatever? Can we just talk about like Thomas Hardy for a second without immediately like 
the kind of the the uh the kind of downer in a way it's like a debbie downer thing it's yeah. just like it's like you can, can we just talk about the beauty of this poetry for a moment instead it without nope. making it <laughs> Like an oppressive, colonizing, tyrannical force. Can we just? But but look at okay. But look at the rhyme structure. Look at the metaphors. Yeah, you know. Well, yeah, and really, when we think about what critical thinking is, I think people have like perverted critical thinking so that they don't realize it takes critical thinking to talk about what you were just saying. Look at the rhyme. Look at the what does the poem mean? What is the beauty of it? Yeah, what, how is it generating? How do texts generate meaning? You know, right, yeah. like that's how, what is the mean? Yeah. How do we interpret this? But for they think critical thinking is to just come up with a criticism. And one of their go to's is that it's sexist or it's racist or right. it's transphobic or homophobic or heterocentrist. It's like that. There certainly was plenty of racism, sexism and heterocentrism and all of that and heterosexism throughout history. And you can see it in a number of ways. But that's one thing to see. And it's almost like they've they've got tunnel vision, and it, it's just the sort of easiest go to. And then you feel better about yourself because you've you've spotted it, so you don't have to feel as guilty for being a racist, a sexist, etc. That's what I'm thinking, right? It's like it's just a it's a some sort of um, way to clear your name <laughs> temporarily, uh, but but of course that you have to perform that over and over because you you still have that guilt or that privileged status or whatever it is. Oh and, it, God, and if yeah. you are, if you aren't privileged along one of those dimensions, you still have to keep saying it because your job is to quote unquote, educate everyone else on it. Yeah. Who doesn't get it. Right. So there's this constant assumption that, yeah, that you, um, if someone says something, they must not get, get it yet. And they have to be educated. And, you know, there's, there's people who've, tried to educate me on things that I've been teaching about for 25 years. I really just want to go, really? Because I wrote that article before you were born, you know? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. But it's, it's just people just think that, and especially if you have a perspective that goes beyond the typical one, which if you've been studying or thinking about something for many years, like we have, you you don't tend to have the typical party line because you have more complex ideas about it by this point. But they think you're not having the party line means you've never been exposed to or schooled in the party line. Right. And it's like, yeah, no, I, you know, it's like um, there's a my favorite line in Grace and Frankie in the pilot episode in the if you if you've seen the show, you know, it's a premised on that um, two women Jane, played by Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin are married to these two men. They've been married to them for, you know, like 40 or 50 years piece. And the two men tell them, and again, this is the pilot, so it's not a big spoiler that they've been having an affair all these years. They're in love and they, the two men want to get married. And this is a big blow to both women because they had no idea that their husband's who were partners in a legal firm all these years were also lovers behind their backs. They didn't know. So at one point, um, one of the guys goes, we want to get married. It's, it's legal now, you know, and Lily Tomlin goes, yeah, I know. I hosted that fundraiser. And that, that's exactly how I feel when people talk to me about these things. <laughs> they, they presume I don't understand 
the most basic things about, you know, transgender and, um, you know, sexual identities and race and racism and gender and sexism. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I taught that class in 1996. Yeah, I know. I wrote that book. I know? get it. I was, I was teaching that class while you were still crapping in your in diapers, diapers, you yeah. know? <laughs> it's a great point you made about how, uh, you know, older, more mature thinking is taken for is taken actually for wrong-headed thinking, you know, like because yeah, if, like you're if not you, woke yet. Chances are, if you have a like a super simple, unquestioned, dogmatic view, you probably are. It's probably immature, you know. Almost always, if you just you know, if this is how this is, X is X and Y is Y. Well, you know, if you live a few years and have a few experiences, you realize that that's, I mean, across the board, that's never true, basically, and. Only and that, but yet it is the only kind of wisdom, if you want to call it that, uh, that that's a, that is sort of permitted anymore. Which is like, of course, super problematic and scary, and kind of also goes back to another good point you made, uh, to your other point about about just sort of what masquerades as critical thinking. Like critical thinking isn't. I mean, I remember teaching freshman English what was it over twenty years ago, and just that was the challenge of the entire class was just like I hope by the end of the semester I can get somebody in this class to understand the difference between an opinion and an argument, you know, <laughs> or like like you know what I mean. You can't just say like that was the whole class was somebody like well what do you think? Well I think this why because because and every everything they said everything they every attempt they would make to make an argument to offer claim and support and you know evidence-based support every time they would do it i would say that's just more opinion that's not you know i'd say well you need to provide evidence and they would say well it made me feel like no 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 this isn't a fucking therapy group (laughs) i'm asking for evidence (laughs) from the text and they just couldn't do it they have no training at all to be able to do this just to be able to understand the difference between I think this because I feel that way, you know, the difference between that and an actual argument with evidence-based claim and support, completely like just no preparation for that. And, and this is college. So, you know, anyway, I, I mean, that's that's where we're at. And, and so speaking of college, we were in academia, you know, today uh, we were going to talk about uh, this letter. It's a... Uh, from the University of uh, Notre, Notre Dame at, at uh, of Maryland. I always want to say Notre Dame because that's how it should be pronounced, right? But mm-hmm. over here, I guess it's Notre Dame, like it is, like yeah. the main Notre Dame of Maryland, though, which is the last women's college in Maryland, right? Yeah. And I'm putting women's in these uh, quotation uh, fingers that no one can see. It's quotation marks in the air, air, air quotes. I'm putting <laughs> quotation I'm putting, marks in the air. I'm putting. <laughs> That's so old. Um, yeah. And uh, we wanted to talk about this because it's seen for a lot of reasons, right? You, uh, you sent me this article and I was like, oh my God, we have to do a podcast about this. And I'm like screaming at myself in bed in the middle of the night, you know, because it's just so like, it's so maddening. Um, but it's really interesting. It raises a lot of questions, you know, about... Which part? The fact that there's a women's college or the fact that they canceled the women's college? Because they they're now opening it to everyone. Right. So, yeah, because the, the wh- why this is in the news is because uh, this last women's college in Maryland has just decided to start admitting 
men. And so the faculty cis men. Uh, admit, yeah, cis men. Um that's right. And that's that's the whole point, right? They've decided to start admitting biologically male uh biological males who also identify as males, right? Cis males, as men, as men or whatever who, the yeah. hell you're supposed to say anymore, right? <laughs> um you know, and it's 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 so interesting to me because it just raises a ton of questions. Um just like in a nutshell, I feel like this is yet another example of the unforeseen implications of how the trans right movement, uh, the trans rights movement has is has sort of undermined the work of the women's rights movement, for one thing, because it just hopelessly muddies the waters. Uh, and maybe that's good would be another question I have is like, you know, what, you know, let's talk about also. Uh, how legitimate it is, the whole concept of having a woman's college in the first case. Is that, in the first place, is that uh, is that legitimate in the first place? Is it discriminatory? Is it bigoted to have women-only schools, women-only spaces? Like, does that, is that feasible anymore now that we have just thrown gender into the blender, the gender blender, as if you will? Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> And also... You know, why and how does the inclusion of cis men damage these spaces? Why is that automatically a threat? It's just a completely unquestioned assumption that if, you know, somebody with a dick that he was born with walks into the room of women only spaces, then everybody is like in everybody is under threat immediately. And, you know, and there's no way that they can have that that refuge that they supposedly need. And so lots of things to talk about there. And it's funny because I used to, for for a long time, I wished I had gone to a women's college. And I, I thought about it. A, a guidance counselor in high school suggested it. And I decided not to apply because I had this like weird feeling like that'd be weird. Or it was like stigmatized in a way as like not cool. It was, but there was really, uh, and the guidance counselor didn't go into detail and I wish she had because she probably could have talked me into it because once I learned more about women's colleges, I thought they really have an interesting and rich tradition and mm-hmm. um, maybe not unlike a historically black college uh, does. And there's something really cool and empowering about that, but I didn't do it. I went to a standard public state university, um, that was, you know, mixed gendered and any, anyway, but, but I, but certainly the history of them is really interesting because it, women weren't often let in to other male only universities. And so there was separate, you know, sex segregated education. And, and then as more women got to go to regular universities, there those other universities remained women only. Many of them did end up switching to mixed gender, but a lot of them stayed women only. And they thought they, they have these great graduation rates and they have all these, you know, um, points of pride and that they note that women do really well after school, a bigger, much bigger percentage of women who graduate from women's colleges go on to graduate school than it's compared to the women who go to regular mixed gender universities. So there's these things that they feel are really important. Yeah. I just said, you know, uh, one question might be, um, you know, women's colleges historically tend to be 
uh, a bit elite, right? It's a sort of a special protected elite space that you get to go hang out in. Is that fair in the first place? Like, you know, for, like, I, you know, believe it or not, like, you know, I wanted to go to a women's college too. <laughs> because that sounds that sounds like a joke because yeah. I'm like, oh man, all the women, I'll be the only guy there. Woohoo. But it's it's you know Well and you get along with women. So seriously. that actually makes I sense. Prefer, you know, yeah, I've always not, just preferred the company of women. Like when I was younger, I wasn't some I wasn't some just typical frat you know, guy. masculine <laughs> uh frat guy. Yeah, the last thing I would ever do would be to join a frat. And and typically I, my typical experience at middle school and high school and college, you know, whenever you get around a bunch of like a bunch of, you know, alpha male dogs, it's just like, this is really loud and overstimulating and annoyingly machismo. Like I was, you know, I was always, um, you know, I like, I would be great to go just hang out somewhere where everybody's just like relaxed and hanging out (laughs) and, and these sorts of, uh, you know, it's great for them that they got to have that sort of elite experience and it's too bad that you know but I would be excluded from a school like that you know I mean it wasn't that I wanted to go to like that I seriously man I wish I could go to this all women's college but it's more like the kind of school that would typically be that you you know mostly women are there but men are allowed to be there one of the questions that this letter raises which we I should give some of the facts about this letter real quick but real but uh before that uh, you know, somebody does raise the in the letter, this faculty group that wrote the letter, they raise the question, why would cis men want to come here anyway? That's basically what they like. What? Why? What would they find appealing about a place that is mostly women and designed for that? Well, that's like that's that's a staggering, a staggeringly sexist statement because it just assumes yeah. that cis men across the board are like beer drinking football watching frat party yeah. date raping you know just like guys who just are why why would they, i mean why would they want to come here and read poetry under a tree with a bunch of women who are just like sensitive and relaxed like aren't they supposed to be like playing a uh, shuffleboard and drinking and looking down women's shirts you know whatever it is whatever their assumptions are you can do both can't, no. can't you do both <laughs> <laughs> just kidding erase that <laughs> erase joke, that joke so funny <laughs> so just i should give some of the facts real quick um just real quick okay so they so the school you know the school sort of secretly this council secretly just made this decision without consulting all the faculty or whatever yeah. and the trustees the trustees the trustees decided to admit cis men undergrads to the college and then and i i can just read this um real quick from the letter it's uh this this so this is like an open letter right uh, to represent the faculty's concerns because they want to keep it women only right and then and then a, a a super majority of tenured faculty and and uh our newly reformed AAUP chapter both sent letters to the president and board anonymously for fear of reprisal. My first question is like, really? Women faculty are fearing reprisal? How do you think we feel? How do you think men feel? Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah, because women are so disempowered and underrepresented in academia, female tenured faculty at a women's college. Jesus, do you ever stop complaining and claiming victimization? Like, you know, you've all got tenured, amazing jobs because you're women. How many 
men who may have even deserved the job more were blown past and never even considered, right? I mean, and you're still well, basing your entire that, career <laughs> on the idea that you are, a, that you're like constantly being oppressed and victimized. And no, we don't know that, of course, but we do know that, uh, that the hiring process for academia and the admissions process for academia very often is deliberately going to consider uh, groups other than like like cis like those cis white men are in trouble with that right we know yeah. that's true I, i've even heard faculty members say they don't want a white man like as if it's okay <laughs> to say and that if, out loud if in 1950 a faculty hiring committee had anyone say something like as long as we don't get a dame or as yeah. long as we don't get a, a person of color or a black person. or That's what these women are doing is the equivalent yeah, of just to, throwing the N-word out. To say out. that, to, to actually say as long as we don't hire a white guy. Are you kidding? Yeah. I mean, it really, uh, do they not hear themselves talk? Do, are they that blind to how that mm -hmm. sounds or deaf to how that sounds? That's quite revealing they're, that they would say it out loud like that. Yeah, and it's unashamedly. They do it thinking they're advocating for the empowerment of a disenfranchised, disempowered group. While actively disenfranchising a group. <laughs> but they're, yeah, so it's it's like when, when gender or race becomes this um, way you try to get power, it's you're, you're no longer trying to remove gender and race from the mix so that you're not using it as a basis for determining someone's qualifications. You're you're then making that the qualification, their gender and or their race. So to say no white guys has made gender and race qualifications. And I'm not sure anyone's given an argument about why that makes someone better qualified. And it's, it's very frustrating um, and that when they're doing it in case of, I mean, I get why the, the any trust group of trustees shouldn't make any decisions without involving the faculty and to some extent the students on the student governing body. It, it just makes more sense to include those groups before making a major change to the institution. But at the same time, the, the, the argument is not only the faculty are not only upset that they weren't involved in the decision, but they're, also just outlining why it's bad mm -hmm. to include cis men. And apparently they had already opened their doors, not just to cis women or, you know, biological females who identify as women, but to what they call other gender marginalized folks, not gender non-binary students, trans men, and anyone who identifies as queer, because they said queer folks generally. And so they now see their school as enabling women and gender marginalized folks to thrive. And so then, so if you, you could already be a cis man who identified as queer, apparently. This is, this is my question is that it, it seems unclear to me because, you know, specifically what they say, there's this great paragraph, just classic. How many times have we heard this? Just keep repeating the same thing, whether it's true or not. Uh, the quote is, uh, and this is kind of their mission statement, according to them, like this is the purpose and the mission of women's colleges. They say, 
in societies structured to disadvantage women and queer folks, there's an assumption. Is that true? Is our entire society absolutely structured to disadvantage all women and all queer folks? That's getting to be pretty arguable. Women's higher, women's higher education promotes their academic excellence as well as their leadership, serves as a refuge, another assumption, do they need a refuge, et cetera? Let's come back to that. Uh, so anyway, women's college serves as a refuge, a time apart to learn and creates a space to examine what gender is and how it operates. The vast majority of us believe in women's education and in maintaining the undergraduate college as a place for women and other gender marginalized folks, non-binary students, transgender men, and queer folks generally to thrive. So the first question is, so what, do they want only biological females uh is it okay so it's okay if you're male as long as you're queer although they said transgender men it said exactly that is biological females who identify as men that's still not males well yeah so then it's interesting so you could conceivably have a women's college with a bunch of men in other words but they're trans men but so they're still still female so i'm still trying to understand what this school is saying in this letter, like does does this faculty uh, group who wrote this letter, do they just not want anybody who was born male or do they just not want anybody who who feels like a man? See, that's not true. See, what I'm saying is if, if they're saying, look, it just has to be women or people who identify with the woman thing, you know? So like if you, if you're- Or females who identify with the man but thing. But see, that's a trans, that's what I'm saying. So why admit transgender males then? Like if you're a female, if you're men, born yeah. female, if you're born, whatever, you know, if you're trans born- men. If you're born, <laughs> I don't think most people even- this this distinction that you and I make, just to back up for a second, this distinction you and I make, we say male and female when we're talking about biology, and we say men and women when we're talking about gender. But that's not really necessarily the way that – that's not necessarily acknowledged as the correct thing. Like as a sensitivity reader, I run into this problem all the time which is that it's not at all there there isn't really this consensus that that's what you have to say or do. In fact, I was doing that and then I was told to back off of that and stop doing that. And because which is very interesting. So the, I mean, it really creates a problem because then you're constantly conflating the terms. And there's yeah. no people are saying people are saying men when what they mean is male and vice versa. Right. And yet you if you if it weren't for separating the two terms, we wouldn't even have the concept of a transgender person or identity because right. the whole basis of understanding what it means to be trans is that your biological sex assignment or category does not align with your social identity, your gender. So biology, sex, and social gender are different, which is why you can be trans. If they were the same, there would be no such thing right. as just, trans. Yeah. Just like a lot of people say that like the, the whole trans idea erases the ability to be gay, you know, because like a, a woman who, a, a woman who, you know, a, a girl who would have been a lesbian becomes trans and now identifies as a queer man instead of being a lesbian and there's no and so you have gay men saying like i miss all the lesbians where did all the lesbians go yeah with that those terms get conflated they get ridiculous people are out there saying like don't misgender my cat you know because and i'm going they, 
there's like, why, why would we assume the gender of my cat? Your, your cat doesn't have a gender. Your cat has a biological sex because your cat doesn't have a gender identity. I mean, I haven't talked right. to any cats because recently. they don't have language. They don't have they language. Don't have they, don't have con- yeah. right. they don't have consciousness. <laughs> they could, they're smart, but they don't think, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, the, the gender is a, if gender is just a social construct, then there's, there's no sense of talking about gender when you're talking about, you know, when you're talking about dogs and cats, right? Right. And that you're talking specifically about their sex and their reproductive role when you talk about this is a right. male dog or a female dog. Right. And so I get, you know, I get that when we're talking about people, the gender is different. I acknowledge that. But, you know, with a school like this, with this, uh, you know, Notre Dame of Maryland in this letter that they're writing, you know, I'm trying to understand. It sounds like what they want is just, they just don't want people who were born male. But because that's the wording in here, they, they, they mentioned transgender men, which is biologically female, which is born female to just like avoid that complication. Let's just say that born female. Um, but like, I'm saying like, well, what, what is the point? The question that it raises really is one unchecked assumption of the statement is, you know, Basically, everyone except biological males needs a refuge. You know, first of all, is that true? Does does everyone really need a refuge? That's the, you know, the argument about the safe space hysteria, right? And the other question is, don't males need a refuge? I mean, like, I don't need a refuge as a biological male, even though I have like an anxiety disorder and blah, blah, blah. And how do you know what my trauma is? Why is it necessarily always the case that anybody other than a cis male has necessarily, you automatically have so much more trauma. Another thing the letter mentioned at what at, at one point, uh, they mentioned in the letter somewhere uh, that you know they're the kind of students that they want are historically you know they almost always come with more than average trauma. Well, so do a lot of white men. They also talk about low income. They want low income people. Well, there's a lot of white men and cis men out there who are low income and traumatized and had really shitty childhoods and have mental illness problems and all that, but they don't care about that. It has to be, it has to have to do with your gender and your sexuality. And if it's not about that, then we're not interested in talking to you. And that's just such, like, like you bring up all the time, like the focus is so entirely on this, like you said earlier about tunnel vision. You know, I mean, that's an understatement. It's the only thing. Like when you're in an English class and you want to talk about literature on these five different levels and no one is willing to talk about it except on this level. It has to be about race. It has to be about gender. Well, and one of the things is that, I mean, there's always been this tension between focusing on um, the the development of a group that has at least been historically marginalized. I mean, historically women were not allowed in law school and medical schools and didn't have the opportunity to do sports and go to college. And there there was a, a huge gender discrepancy. So it, it makes sense to think about that group as a, a targeted group that um, and targeted for development or empowerment and uh, make sure they have equal opportunity. But if you focus so much on the victimization, then you don't have any... Um, you can't even acknowledge or take credit for the successes. And the fact is that today women make up the majority of college students and college graduates. So it's not clear 
at a basic level that when it comes to attending college or getting an education, women are still the marginalized group. So what I would be curious how we now define what constitutes your marginalization and when it comes to education. Massive changes to faculty makeup over the last yeah. however many decades. I mean, women's only colleges came about in the late 19th, was it the late 19th century or, you know, I mean, things have changed a bit, you know, uh, I yeah. would say. Uh <laughs> Well, that, that's where we get into that you, you have certain groups who are arguing that, that in, depending on how you measure it, men are marginalized. And, and we've seen that for a couple of decades, just when you look at the economic statistics, it's true that it used to be up until, I don't know, the late 80s or around there, um, women's uh, college degree earned them a even less on average than men's high school diplomas. And that had to do with the kinds of jobs that high school graduates who were men were getting, like heavy manufacturing, construction, things that paid pretty well, but that, you know, took its toll on you physically. And uh, women didn't tend to end up in those male-dominated high school diploma professions, right? Steel workers. And, but then those jobs left they were replaced by technology or cheaper labor sources overseas. And then the women, um, their incomes, when you compare to women's incomes on average in the past, have continued to increase. Women on average are doing better than they were doing 10, 20, and 30 years ago economically. Men, however, are doing worse than they were doing. So when you look at the comparison, so women still on average make less money than men. It's more complicated than that whole, uh, you know, 82 cents for the dollar would indicate. But women on average make less than men. And but it's no longer the case that the average man with a high school diploma is out earning the average woman with a college degree. So that's not true anymore. And um, the economic opportunities for men have collapsed in a lot of ways. And women's situation has been improving. So there, there have been significant changes, and we don't even really, I don't know, uh, celebrate those or, or even just analyze them. I mean, I, I'm not saying it should be celebrated that men's economic opportunities have collapsed, but, uh, <laughs> but we're saying, but, but there's this assumption there that women are still so disadvantaged, and, um, and if you want to have any opportunities, you know, you it's as though you have to say you've been a complete victim, and right. And then it involves, like you say, erasing uh, any of the ways in which uh, straight white guys have been victimized or are marginalized, especially economically. So then, then it just builds resentment and polarization. And it's just not clear that, I mean, maybe there should be, I don't know, if you had to reorganize it, how would you do it? You know, right. would you just say these colleges shouldn't exist? Because again, I, I think there's, there's a, it's, I mean, why not make them like historically women-only colleges, but that anyone can attend now? Yeah, really, uh, you know, f uh, fascinating stats uh, on on the changes in earning power and things like that 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 have that have come about over the past few decades. And you know, and I think what you're saying about women sort of completely, absolutely failing to acknowledge their successes or be happy about anything, no matter how much things change in their favor, 
this, this is the problem with building a political movement that is based entirely on self-victimization. Or I should say on the idea that you are a victimized, powerless class. Because no matter how powerful you become, if you stop feeling like a victim, then you're out of the club. The point is, like, that is central to the the underlying mission statement. You know, if you decide to stop to like stop focusing obsessively on your own victimization. And you like you want to be like the woman who raises her hand at the meeting and go, you know, actually I think we have it pretty good now. And actually if you consider this and this and this, it seems like men should be complaining, not us. I mean, she's out the window, right? That that that's it's 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 over for her. You know, you're and and of course this is tied into, you know, it's tied into all of your personal validation, which is of course just this unconditional uh, the unconditional self-validation of feminism at this point. And uh, it's just that, you know, the whole thing is designed to constantly reinforce whatever you're doing, however you feel about yourself, however you identify, whatever you're thinking and doing in that moment is right and correct and true and amazing. And you're strong and brave and awesome for being who you are. If you're a woman, you know, uh, if you're a man, you're just shit out of luck. And yet they, they, they would argue you don't need luck, right? They would argue that if you're a man, you have all that privilege. And that's where it gets into, you know, this This doesn't capture men, a lot of men's experience because they don't have health insurance, they don't have steady jobs, they don't have any savings, they don't have any wealth they're inheriting or are going to be able to pass down to anyone else. They, there are a lot of economically precarious situations out there and they're not just held by uh, the, the traditional, uh, marginalized people there, there are. Yeah. And trivializing the, 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 the suffering of, 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 you know, cis men across the board, it completely fails to acknowledge any distinction between cis men. They're just all the same, which is like the definition of basically like, like how do you become a racist or a sexist? Well, for, you know, or just a fascist or whatever it is. Well, you, 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 create an enemy and just make them all the same homogenous across the board. Like all of these people are like this. I mean, we ought to understand how problematic that is, you know, and, you know, to give an example, it fails to acknowledge between the white, you know, meth head in Tennessee who was beaten by his dad every day when he was a when he was a, when he was a kid or just tortured by his mother and Jeffrey Epstein. Like, it's like every man is the same. Jeffrey Epstein and this completely disempowered white guy with no money who has nothing and will never have anything and will spend his entire life working himself into an early grave in a job he hates, giving up slowly on every dream he ever had. Your average your sort of academic or feminist at this point is going to look at that guy and look at Jeffrey Epstein and make no distinction. They're, they're, both men are supposed to be in power and they still think, well, he's got it better than me just because he's a man. And that's just a lie that at this point we don't question anymore. Yeah. And this brings us back around, you know, just just to bring this back to the, you know, the the this open letter what we're talking about real quick. I mean, that's sort of just the main the main question that I have when I run into things like this is, you know, why is it that cis men are so bad and so problematic? Just if I could read this, you know, the sort of one, almost the closing paragraph of the letter, we are a community that centers women and that profits from maintaining a women's college structure. It is this community that the college 
alumni remember that current students value and that faculty and staff work to help create. And then in a separate paragraph right under that, this is what we give up in admitting cisgender men. That sounds so dirty. This huge group of people that we're making no distinction between. That is, that is, that's, that's how evil happens, people. You know, you cannot, so, and, and immediately my question is, why? How? There's no explanation. There is no rationale given. This letter, this open letter, as much as they get all their talking points in and they give all these brilliant academic explanations for their argument, because they're good at that, there is no rationale offered, no explanation for that sentence. You know, I want some support for that claim because that is a big claim and a problematic claim. And there's no rationale because you can't, I don't know if you can give a rationale for that because- Well, what if their rationale had been different? And they do allude to that, um, but they just don't focus on it. What if they said, look, this is just pragmatic. Um, men's in, Men-only colleges um, only got desegregated in the 70s. It hasn't been that long. And we could have desegregated then, but we didn't. And we don't think now is the time to desegregate either because we're a Catholic university and a lot of Catholics went to sex segregated K through 12 schools and they, they want to continue that. I mean, there are girls only and boys only Catholic schools. So, you know, it's just a matter of pragmatics. There's a a lot of um, young women feel more comfortable and this is our tradition and we're okay with that. And the courts have protected us. The courts have said, because I think they have, that sex-segregated education is okay and it's not a violation of uh, Title IX or whatever it would be a violation of or discrimination laws. So uh, let's go with that for a while longer because we think our university, pragmatically speaking, will be in trouble. The alumni will stop giving to us. The, um, the women we do attract will no longer want to come here. And so we won't solve our enrollment problems that the trustees are trying to solve by desegregating. We'll actually have even worse enrollment problems. So what about that? What if they said that? Would you go, okay, that's fair enough. It's the, they wouldn't have had to paint cisgender men as evil. Right. That is my main complaint. And I would say, like, you know, like I say about a lot of things, I think most of the time I ask for consistency and, <laughs> you know, thus the title of this podcast. And I would say, yeah, if you like for this, just this, just outright hatred and bigotry and discrimination against men is my main problem. So I would say, if you make the argument to me based on like, look, this is good for us, we want to do this, then I'd probably be like, then I'd probably say, okay, but we get to do that too. That's the other problem, of course, is that it's okay to have a women's only college, but it's not okay to have a men's college. And you go, well, you don't need that because every college is men's only. No, it's not. As you mentioned earlier, uh, actually, men are outnumbered in every way in the university by the, they're outnumbered in the student body, and the, I'm not sure what the stats of, of faculty are, but I mean, women are seriously, massively represented equally or overrepresented in, in universities and administration to some extent. And, and just the whole atmosphere of, of the university experience at this point and has been colonized by the woke big time and the whole admissions process in the first place is so advantageous if you're not a straight cis white man. The worst thing you can be is a straight cis white male 
with no money like myself. That's where I came from. And you're just screwed because you've got nothing going for you at that point. And, and, and you can't, you, you don't have that power that you're accused of having. You're not victimizing anybody. You haven't personally taken part in the discrimination against any of these groups. And it doesn't matter. You're still supposed to pay for it. Well, and then you offend people if you refuse to feel guilty. Oh, of course. That's what it sounds like. So if you say, no, I, I haven't done that. I'm not a Jeffrey Epstein. I'm broke. I have no health insurance. I can't even afford the therapy. I probably need all any of those things someone might say. You you don't get to say that. You have you have no claim to disadvantage. You have no no basis to complain. Uh, you're supposed to be living the dream of privilege, and you're supposed to feel guilty about your privilege. And it doesn't even feel like you are privileged. And well, the, you the people don't seem to understand that. Yeah. There's an assumption that they'll uh, use this uh, cisgender male or man privilege to um, take over the institution. And um, and that, that may have been a healthy suspicion in 1960 and even 1970. There's a lot of stories about um, women in activist groups trying to get things done whether that was in the civil rights movement or the Students for a Democratic Society or in any of these social change movements in the 60s and early 70s. And they, and they, you know, these obnoxious, arrogant guys would step in and basically be like, you know, you go, go back to your knitting or whatever, we'll handle right. it. Or somehow they would take over and have the leadership positions in these organizations and the women would be frustrated, especially when they were doing a lot of the, the, um, on the ground work of the organization. And there's, you know, there's some sort of infamous statements made by radical men, leaders of these organizations that were really offensive to women. And, you know, some of those guys were really sexist. So there is, I mean, the women who experienced that, the Gloria Steinem's and the Robin Morgan's and, um, those women are still alive today. I mean, it, it wasn't that long ago that women experienced really obnoxious sexism from men who were otherwise like their comrades politically. So, but, but let's also acknowledge that over the past 40 and 50 years, things have changed. And a lot that, that yeah. And so it's, it's not exactly, uh, so, I mean, it's hard because, Things have changed, yeah, pretty quickly. We've arguably lived in a time of dramatic social shifts in so many ways. But there's still this kind of master narrative, which goes back to the beginning uh, that you were saying, that, that um, cis white guys are super privileged and they're super sexist and they'll take over everything you do because they're so self-centered and they're so used to getting their way. And that... That may have been true 50 years ago, but how? why do we still have that narrative for everything? And so why is this, the, that narrative is so strong that you, it's like, it's like the myth that makes itself true. And now you, you know, you're, you're painted that way. Um, even if that isn't, it, it isn't, hasn't been your experience at all. Yeah, that's right. And we, because the entire movement is based on that narrative. And the question, good question would be, you know, what, what would happen to these movements like feminism, transgender rights movement? I mean, would they collapse without the narrative of 
always being the victim. I mean, like, um, you know, some people could argue that it's quite a coup that the LGBTQ uh, community has pulled off in the last five years alone, you know, to essentially rewrite the way that every human being is required to speak and even think in their own private spaces. I mean, where people are getting... People are getting canceled for, for, for saying something, for questioning transgender dogma in their own living room, you know, right? These, these sorts of things that happen very often. And, and within the last five years, we've gone from people saying like trans, what's that, to where we are now. At what point is that going to shift and this, you guys have to stop pulling that card constantly? I mean, the, the shift is occurring. People are... People, there are many, many, many unforeseen implications, unforeseen by most people. I think you and I pretty much right at the beginning were like, this is going to be, this is going to be a problem. There were many, many implications and people are becoming more and more aware of that. And people are more and more saying like, this is not going to work. We thought, you know, we were, we were, we were playing along because we are supportive. It wasn't just, we weren't just like bullshitting you. We are supportive. We want you to be able to love whoever you love. And we want you to be able to identify with whatever gender you want to identify with. But Jesus Christ, you know, like this doesn't seem to be about that. This seems to be more about a pathological need to be validated for everything and get everything you want and give nothing back and be completely unfair and completely rewrite the rules of everything in your favor. And that's not how things work. Yeah, it's no longer about being included into a system, but it's about... Maybe a, it becomes a, a narcissistic um, uh, power seeking. It really just becomes the same thing that always happens historically, which is like you know the 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 scrappy band of rebels who we sympathize with take over and stage a coup, and then they become the next fascist institution. You know, that's that's what kind of always happens right (laughs) like like with when the red because power corrupts right as they as 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 the old saying goes power corrupts and what it is really about is power it's not about your genitals it's not about the color of your skin it's about who's in power and whoever is in power you know acts like you know acts like this and it seems pretty clear that you know uh like the average the, the feminist movement at this point has been is certainly not they're they're certainly not striving for equality that's for damn sure well a lot of them let's let's be fair a lot of feminists would say what they're striving for is equality and i don't know like someone like gloria steinem wouldn't say oh i'm not striving for equality she would say she's striving for equality and that that's what she's always been striving that's for that's a super old school feminist too so you mean young people Young 20-year-olds. You know, a young person would say, you know, a Zoomer or a millennial would say, would dismissively say that's just white feminism. 